As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Thoughts podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. Joe, have you looked at uh, the Tehran Stock Exchange recently? Uh, I have not. Let me look that up right <laughs> now. I know uh, it's going to happen. Oh, nope. I can't find any data for it. Yeah. Um, we have actually recorded. Oh, oh. Do you know what happens what? when you look uh, on the Bloomberg? Do you get a warning? You I do. bet you do. Yeah. So if you look, if you're on the Bloomberg terminal and you want to see what's happening on the Tehran Stock Exchange, you actually get a, uh, a red bar and it said sanctions may apply to this instrument and you can't get the data. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we have actually done an episode on Iranian stocks before. And one of the reasons this particular market is interesting is because it has to be the most unfamiliar equity market out there, I think, for the vast majority of investors. Because of sanctions, you can't access data on it. You're not going to see a lot of news stories on what's going on with Iranian stocks. It's just really hard to get a sense at any single point in time of what this market is doing, what it's comprised of, and basically any information on it at all. That's right. It's it's very strange. It exists. There are plenty of stocks on it. You know, it's always sort of interesting, I guess, to be reminded that stock markets exist in all these far-flung uh, locations. Iran, of course, is a relatively big uh, middle-income country, but because of the sanctions, it's just so unplugged into the Western financial system, you never, it just doesn't even come up in any conversation. I mean, you hear much more about, say, the Saudi market or something like that. Absolutely. And I'm always kind of surprised when I read the numbers behind how big the Iranian economy actually is, um, because again, it's just one that people don't really talk about that much, except maybe in the context of oil exports. But anyway, as I mentioned, we did an episode on the Iranian stock market a couple years ago. And obviously, Iran is back in the news. There's always been a degree of geopolitical risk in this market for obvious reasons. We already mentioned sanctions, but geopolitical risk has just kicked into high gear given the conflict between Israel and Hamas. And so I thought it might be interesting to bring back our guest and just try to take a look at what's happening in this extremely unfamiliar 
and sort of opaque market. That's right. And um, obviously, right prior to the start of the war, you know, obviously there had been uh, talk, and we talked about this with Gregory Brew, actually. There had been this easing, mm-hmm. not of the sanctions, but of the, it seemed of the enforcement of the sanctions. Um, and so a lot of uh, Iranian oil has been flowing out of the country despite the sanctions. And of course, there was that money that the Biden administration had unfrozen and then since refrozen. And so there had been some macro moves happening around. Whatever trajectory Iran may have been on is probably on something different now. Absolutely. So we are going to be speaking with our previous guest. It's Maciej Voital. He is an investor in Iranian stocks. In fact, I think he's the only or he runs the only foreign institutional investor that is actually investing in Iran. So again, not a very crowded market and certainly an unusual one. Maciej, thank you so much for coming back on All Thoughts. Hi, thank you for having me. So maybe just to begin with, you could sort of give us a reminder of what it is that you and your fund actually do. For listeners who weren't listening to Oblots back in 2020, what's uh, what's your mandate? Right. So really like a like a brief description of uh, what we're doing and, and why we are doing this. So we run an equity fund. It's a proper uh, mutual fund registered uh, in one of the European re- jurisdictions. Um, and our mandate is to buy stocks listed on the Tehran Stock Exchange. So Tehran Stock Exchange is the biggest stock market that no one has ever heard of. Um, and, and it's a proper market. It has around 600 companies listed. More than 50 different industries are present on the market. So it's not a proxy on, on, on oil prices. Um, it's around $250 billion market cap and decent liquidity. So. If Iran was properly integrated into, uh, you know, global financial markets with with no sanctions on it, um, you know, Iran would be uh, definitely one of the members in MSCI emerging markets uh, indices, uh, or would be the biggest member of MSCI frontier markets indices. Um, and but because of all those difficulties that you mentioned, um, um, related to sanctions mainly uh, and capital controls. Um, there are no foreign investors there. We got interested back in 2016 when it became legal to start doing anything with Iran. Well, as long as you're not um, an American investor, Americans still cannot touch the market, but it became legal for everyone else pretty much. But still, you know, half of our work is doing due diligence and and actually, uh, you know, working on um, on operations to, um, to make it possible to invest there. Um, but you know the what's 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 interesting why why we are doing this um is that you know you mentioned that it's that that you were surprised how big iran's economy is and and i would say that that no it's actually very small comparing to how big it could get because iran you know it's around 90 million people the largest combined oil and gas reserves in the world and they properly developed and diversified economy. Well, thanks to decades of sanctions, they didn't have a choice. They had to you know, develop all different parts of the economy. And all this in terms of GDP is around, well, depending how you calculate it, but it's around $200 billion. Now, when you look at Turkey, um, which is a similar size of the country in terms of population and, and geographical size, um, but no um, natural resources, Turkey is around 800 
900 billion dollars if you look at saudi arabia which has no other um pretty much no other sectors except for uh, you know oil uh, and some petrochemicals uh the the gdp over there is around 1 trillion dollars so in some you know super optimistic very very positive scenario if everything went well uh, for iran iran could become basically the the combination of the two which is you know anywhere 1.8 uh, to 2 uh, trillion dollars so the upside for the economy um is is you know eight times from where it is right now yeah uh, so this is the potential this is the optionality that is in the market um and on top of that <clears throat> once the country starts to open up obviously there is a, a long list of of things that would have to you know come in place um then um we expect um to see a lot of capital flowing into the market um and right now it's only domestic capital and us um which means that because there is not enough capital um the uh, you know assets local assets are valued at very low uh, levels so we what we are seeing in the market is you know we are buying stocks at four to five times forward net net earnings those earnings are growing they are paying dividends the the average or the median dividend yield uh you know for the top 100 companies is probably close to 15% uh, so you know strong double digit dividend yields um uh, valuations at such levels uh, that uh you know they cannot really fall further as long as those earnings are growing um so investment risks are pretty small pre- pretty limited you have different sort of risks you have uh, geopolitics exactly as you mentioned i mean you know <laughs> those those equities basically are priced for war and and obviously there is a reason there might be right. a reason for that uh, because it's because it's the middle east and um and it's amazing how the how the narrative you know the the region uh, reminded everyone that uh, you know the the situation and the and the perception of the region can can make a u turn overnight because a month ago it was not only what what you mentioned in in the introduction that you know there was some sort of arrangement between iran and the us which led to the uh, prisoner exchange mm. which which was very important because historically uh, prisoner exchange was usually the first step to something bigger and then on top of that uh, uh, you know uh, iran is, is selling a lot of oil so obviously uh, sanctions are probably you know not enforced uh, very um, very strictly and so on but the bigger story a month ago was in the whole middle east where Iran basically signed a um, you know you can call it a peace treaty with Saudi Arabia after many years of not having diplomatic relations then what followed uh, were you know discussions uh, and restoration of diplomatic ties with between Iran and you know Egypt Bahrain right. all Saudi uh, Saudi allies and so on you know I w- obviously want to talk about the uh, the the trajectory of the country but to back up for a moment obviously the country yeah. as we said in the intro the country's entire financial system extremely cut off to the point that you can't access the data can you talk about how just remind us for those who haven't listened to the episode which i think was late 2019 or early 2020 the mechanics of how you access the yeah. Tehran stock exchange from where you are okay yeah so look um you have to um access Tehran stock exchange website um which actually sometimes you're not not able to access it from ips from outside of Iran we 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 subscribe to local services uh, price services like you know mini bloomberg's 
um, in Iran that um, that offer a very decent um, way of uh, you know going through the data. So you can not only you can not not only follow the, the prices, stock prices, but also it's a good database in a nice format of historical earnings, uh, quarterly earnings, uh, monthly sales data. Um, corporate announcements, uh, charts, or different types of charts, like price charts, fundamental charts, uh, historical valuations, and so on and so forth. So this is all um, available in Iran. You have to, you know, find those um, those suppliers, uh, subscribe to those services. It's much, much easier if you have people on the ground. So we, we have an office with uh, uh, three full-time analysts uh, who, um, you know, who help with not only, you know, research, but also getting things done because you know some things you actually have to do manually there for example um companies pay very high dividends dividend yield is very high uh, in the market but they try not to pay for as long as possible why because interest rates are high so they try to get this you know interest for as long as possible huh. so you actually have to chase them to pay you right you call them you send faxes right you stuff stuff like this so um it's you, you need someone on the ground to do it on your behalf As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Okay, another really basic question on that note. And again, we are unable to access any sort of data, but what has been going on with Iranian stocks recently? Right. So on 7th of October, um, I believe that it was the case for the whole region that the currencies, local currencies sold off and, and local stock, stock markets went down, obviously. Um, what happened was that over the, um, so initially everything went down for the, for the first three weeks, uh, the index, local equity index measured in dollar terms um, was going down with the lowest point around 10% in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the correction. Um, since then, uh, it started bouncing back. Um, in local currency terms, the equity index is actually um, at the level from 7th October. So it made up for all the losses. 
the currency is still down. So uh, from a foreign investor who is measuring, you know, the PNL in in dollar terms, um, you are still roughly three percent down. Um, so so it's actually not that bad, uh, given you know the circumstances, given that the risk for local markets and especially Iran, uh, which is involved in everything that is going on, um, you know, the 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 worst case scenario is that potentially there is a military conflict war and mm, I don't know, Iranian refineries or petrochemical plants are military targets and so on. So um, there was and, and, and people were, were quite scared. We, we, we could see this. Um, some of the sectors uh, went down in the meantime for by about 20 percent bounced back since then. But mainly that was happening due to very low liquidity. So what what was the biggest impact? Actually, we could see uh, was on, on liquidity. Normal liquidity is around $150 million per day, and it went to as low as uh, $30, $40 million. So what was going down the most is actually the most illiquid stocks or illiquid industries. So when, 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 I, when I look at sectors that uh, really were hit the most, it's um, uh, textile producers, hmm. uh, confectionaries, you know, so, so things that are not related to, to war or geopolitics at all, but they are basically illiquid. And oh, one, one thing important to remember. So the stock market is driven by retail investors. 90% of, of daily trading is done by retail. So, you know, it's very emotional. It's very short-term momentum, I would say. So they are selling or buying um, uh, depending on the you know, recent price action. Um, so, so they were driving um, the, the, the share price uh, direction, basically. So when you say performance hasn't been that bad, I'm kind of curious what the basis of comparison is, because, mm-hmm. you know, in in a a frontier market or an emerging market, if you're looking at, you know, Kuwaiti stocks or something like that, I imagine you would look at the wider benchmark or other um, members of like the MSCI emerging market index or something like that. And that would help you gauge relative performance. But for something like Iran, because it's so unusual, it feels difficult to benchmark its performance in one way or another. Yes. And the thing that is most volatile in Iran is the currency. So the stock market is is, is, is much less volatile in the local currency than, than, than when measured in dollar terms. The local stock market is actually um, well hedged against the currency depreciations because it's the majority of, of, of the biggest companies are actually exporters. So they benefit from uh, currency depreciation, but but share prices react with a lag. So for a, for a foreign investor, you initially usually, when something is happening, you usually get hit, see a drawdown due to a big currency, volatile currency move. And then the stock market usually rallies um, because you know, people realize that exporters will start showing better earnings and, and well, share price eventually will always, you know, follow EPS. And the lag is, is because the market is driven by retail. So, you know, in the US, everything would be, you know, any currency move would be priced, in, you know, real time into share prices of, of, of stocks that are sensitive to currency moves, right? And in Iran, it sometimes takes, you know, a month or two months, right? So um, it's actually a big opportunity that you have time to, uh, to, uh, to position yourself uh, correctly. As, but also what you can compare it with is, okay, there are two, two, two interesting facts about the performance of the market. Um, so first of all, when I looked at the last 15 years, um, and big geopolit- geopolitical events, uh, for example, like 
previous uh, conflicts in uh, with Hamas uh, in Gaza, or um, there was a situation um, uh, between Iran and the US where people were saying that this was close to a military conflict when Iranian general Soleimani was uh, was killed and and then Iran retaliated by uh, firing some missiles at, at a um, American base in Iraq. When I looked at the performance of the market, it never went down more than 10% in dollar terms, actually. So um, so what happened right now, I think the, the, the bottom was around 11%, almost 11%, was pretty much in line with those historical geopolitical events um, uh, that were also, uh, you know, presented a big risk for the local market. But another way of looking at the Iranian market is the historical performance. And this is very interesting because if you look at um, the performance on, of, of the benchmark uh, equity index, it's called Tetpix index, hmm. total total return. For the last 15 years, so since the inception in 2018, the annualized return in dollars is around 11%, which I think is quite amazing because it's pretty much the same as for S&P 500, maybe, maybe 12% for S&P 500. So it's the same ballpark. And the environment was completely different. I mean, couldn't be more different because over the last 15 years in, in, in the US, you had, you know, technology revolution, those mega caps, uh, uh, you know, appearing on, on, on the market, interest rates, uh, you know, initially going to zero. Um, uh, the top of the cycle, you know, margins, uh, operating margins on top of them, you know, top of the top of the cycle, basically valuations. Um, and in Iran, you had two episodes of currency depreciation of more than 75%. You had some, some crazy presidents. Um, you had US sanctions, UN sanctions. And still, at the end of the day, when you measure the performance, compare the performance over the last 15 years, it's pretty much the same. Obviously, with much bigger volatility, because you know, the, the, in Iran, the volatility was probably around 40% or something. Um, but, but that shows you that... Um, you know, when you're buying assets at very, very low valuations, and I'm say talking about, you know, this four times net earnings, let's say, and the economy and those companies are actually naturally hedged against the currency volatility or big depreciation, then, um, you know, even in those countries where, where things are going really bad, um, you can still make money. And But what is more important is that if in bad times you were still averaging, you know, 11% per year, you know, just think what you can make, what you can expect when, when you know, things finally go the right way for Iran and the country opens up and so on. You know, that's, that's, that's the potential that we are obviously hoping for. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Talk to us about perhaps the signs of a thaw in these several months leading up to October 7th between the prisoner exchange, the expanded flow of oil from the perception of a lower enforcement of the sanctions. Was that showing up in the uh, uh, in the market in a clear way? And just to sort of emphasize that further, would there a way to see that in the sectoral breakdown? So, for example, if there is more oil flowing out of uh, Iran or if there was, was that redounding to the benefit of oil-related listed Iranian stocks? Mm, good question. So the question about oil, the answer is no, because oil is not listed. The, the only oil-related oh. stock that you uh. can find uh, are local oil refineries that you know produce um, you know pe- oh, but petroleum so they don't ben- they don't benefit from further export uh, they are correlated to crack spreads because their domestic yeah. formula for uh, for the price at which they are buying uh, yeah. oil from the government uh, is, is 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 a function of of uh, regional crack spreads so, okay. so so nothing nothing to do with it but th- th- there was one instrument that that showed perfectly the higher oil sales is the currency the currency, which I've been talking about, that it's so volatile, this year um, it's been it's been super stable, around five hundred thousand uh, real per, per per dollar, and it's been going. Oh, I don't know what's the volatility. Volatility, I haven't checked it, but it's you know comparing to the previous couple of years, like nothing is going on mm. with the currency, and this is and this is this is a, a clear signal that there are enough reserves. Um, that you know, central bank of Iran is accumulating. Um, that uh, you know, the pressure is gone. I mean, it's you know, it's still very complicated because you know, bank transfers don't really work, uh, or at least not easily with uh, with Iran. So whenever Iranian exporters are selling something, whether this is oil um, or some more formal exports and more transparent exports, very often they don't get. Um, the money back to Iran. It's 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 somewhere there. They get paid uh, to I don't know accounts in in China or, or or whatever, and it's and it's lying on those accounts. And then money from those accounts can be used to finance imports, but it's not really coming back uh, to Iran. So it's helping because Iran has probably needs to spend roughly twenty billion dollars per year to finance some essential imports, right? And and this is and this is. This is like the minimum amount. If, if, if this is missing, then, well, Iran will have to buy uh, dollars at any price. And this, is, and this is when big depreciations happen, right? Because they need to buy some food, some, uh, some pharmaceuticals, and so on. So they will buy it at any price. Um, so when this is covered, then on top of that, you have budget deficit. But this is, again, maybe 10, maybe 15 billion, um, billion dollars. 
Um, so altogether, if Iran manages to get 30 to 40 billion dollars per year from oil sales, things are pretty much sorted uh, in terms of stability, in terms of financing imports, in terms of you know budget deficit and so on. In in normal circumstances, you know countries opened, well integrated uh, with the rest of the world and so on, they will see every month inflow of you know several billion dollars uh, that will put pressure actually on the um, on the appreciation of the Iranian currency of the Iranian real. Mm. So so yeah, so that's 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 important. So you could see this change last couple of quarters exactly in the exchange rate, uh, and it's and it's astonishing how you know how, how volatility went down on the FX. So. I I take the point about the market itself being influenced by currency movements and things like that. But you already described how the players in Iranian stocks are mostly retail investors. I'm going to assume mostly domestic retail investors, too. But you can correct me if I'm wrong. Can you maybe give us a little bit more color about what drives retail sentiment around Iran Mm. and inflows? Um, Because I imagine... Correct me if I'm wrong, but like to me, it must be kind of a macro story. But maybe people get excited about individual stocks or the prospects for individual companies. But just give us a little bit more of a sense of what drives that sentiment. Yes. So it's, I think, pretty, um, pretty easy. So it's the dollar. So the exchange rate of the dollar. It's the um, momentum. So if stocks are showing momentum, then they start chasing momentum um, and interest rates, local interest rates. So um, maybe not central bank interest rates, but, you know, whatever, whatever the deposit uh, interest rate is. If there, there are several asset classes in Iran for retail investors. So real estate is the big one, the biggest one, but it's a, you know, high ticket um, um, item. So not everyone can trade in and out of, uh, of apartments. It's. It's a well-understood asset class, as everywhere. Uh, that's why it, it's 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 a bit you know less interesting for us. So if Iranians have any spare cash, they will buy real estate. Hmm. Um, from what I heard, thirty percent of apartments in Tehran uh, are actually empty because they are basically used to as a you know store of value just to park summer uh, you know assets savings. Um, and they are not even rented out. Hmm. They are just um, um, empty. Um, and also, just bear in mind that in Tehran, uh, in the best places, uh, best neighborhoods of Tehran, um, prices are quite expensive. So um, in the north of Tehran, if you want to buy an apartment, you have to pay around $10,000 per square meter. So, um, you know, a, a hundred square meter of apartment, uh, I don't know, uh, three bedrooms will cost you um you know, a million dollars or something, right? In Iran, which um, which is uh, which is a poor country, basically. Um, so, so this is real estate. Real estate is number one asset class. Then, a very important asset class are used cars. Hmm. So wow. people trade used cars because they um, they 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 are again a hedge. Uh, against inflation, against the currency depreciation, because car manufacturers will always adjust prices based on inflation. Some of them have to be, um, some of the components have to be imported, uh, which is not easy. Um, so, you know, they, 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 they produce more than 1 million cars or actually closer probably to, to 1.5 million cars per year, but this is not enough. So the demand is much higher. So um, they're trading 
uh, used cars and there are platforms that help you trade used cars. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a proper asset class. And yes, and every Iranian um, is actually a, a, a currency trader because, because you know, the currency has been so volatile historically that it's very important that you know what's happening to the, to the dollar, right? Or, or, or to the local currency, you know, against the dollar. So everyone is um, tracking, you know, the exchange rate. And um, it's not easy to buy and sell dollars. There are quotas for, uh, you know, individual Iranians uh, due to capital controls. Um, so that's why um, instead of buying dollars uh, or to buy or to get a, you know, bigger position, they, they go to, to those proxy asset classes like used cars or, um, or real estate. Um, also interest rates. So you can buy, sell treasury bills, treasury bills up to, you know, two years maturity. Uh, they, they pay around 25% uh, yield to maturity, wow. um, maybe a bit more right now. Um, so, so interest rates are high. And that's another thing. Look, when you, when you, when you look at Iran, um, there is not enough capital there. There is basically not enough money, not enough uh, credit doesn't exist. I mean, you cannot get a mortgage at, at you know, 25%, right? I mean, you cannot finance anything at 25%. And because of very volatile macro, uh, people also tend to, you know, postpone investment decisions, whether just these are individuals or more importantly, companies, right? They Everyone is looking like six months ahead, maybe 12 months ahead, right? And, and managing, managing a crisis because there is always some sort of a crisis, right? So when you think about it, for example, I don't know, every company is running big inventories just in case, just so that they have enough, uh, you know, material to, to manufacture their products. So they are not optimized, organized in this very efficient, you know, lean hmm. way. Uh, they are, they are organized, uh, you know, just, just to survive, survive basically, uh, you know, war conflict, uh, currency depreciation, sanctions, uh, trade disruptions, whatever. Right? right. Maciej, this is exactly what I wanted to ask you, because when you mentioned, you know, people investing in real estate as a speculative play and the idea of a certain proportion of apartments standing empty in Iran, the example that immediately sprang to mind was China. And in China, there's a lot of money that's sort of trapped and recirculating in the economy. I used to call it China's great ball of money because of capital controls. And I imagine maybe there's a similar issue in Iran where there's not enough capital, but there's a lot of domestic savings that are sort of um, are unable to get outside of the Iranian economy. Is that the right way to think of it? So my understanding is that it used to be the case hmm. that Iran, when you looked at household savings, was, um, you know, top of the list when you look at emerging markets, um, at least in uh, like, you know, purchasing power, you know, parity uh, way of looking at this. However, last couple of years have been really tough uh, for Iranians uh, due to sanctions. So when sanctions were reintroduced in 2018, they haven't hurt manufacturing. They haven't hurt exports companies that much to be honest i mean because you know people find a way i mean companies that export in the region they are not really affected by sanctions big exporters that used to send uh, you know products to to japan and so on yes they they were affected but they but they found other other routes and manufacturers you know sanctions caused one thing i mean sanctions caused uh, the, the the currency volatility so the big depreciations of real and manufacturers who have uh, costs in real 
but they either sell in, in hard currency or at prices linked to some regional benchmarks that are in hard currency, their margins actually expanded. Oh. Look, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting thing that yeah. the, the highest earnings growth that we've seen over the last couple of years was one year after the 2018 sanctions. This is, this is crazy because this is you know, not, not as intended, I would assume, right? And, and who got hurt by sanctions? Well, households, because they are price takers. So when the inflation shot up because of the currency depreciation, um, they, their spending power went down massively, right? And, 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 they, and, and they were able to survive. And it was actually quite interesting that they, they were holding up quite well. And this is because of those savings, right? Of the high, high savings that Iranian households had. I'm not sure what's the situation right now because they've been, I think, um, you know, on a net basis, uh, those savings have been have been um, decreasing over the last couple of years because they had just had to spend them. Um, uh, but yes, that's that's what helped them, uh, you know, survive the the inflation. Basically, I just have one more question. I think. I mean, when 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 we talked about this a few years ago, and obviously earlier on the chat just now, and you were talking about comps within the MSCI or perhaps uh, expectations that one day there would be a proper easing of relations between Iran and Western capitals and that that would open up markets, etc. Presumably, a lot of that is uh, the expectations are going to reverse. But could it be that that never happens and that the future is just a much bigger sort of Chinese centric sphere of financial influence in the region exports across Afghanistan, more trade with Russia, and that Iran, uh, Iranian companies end up benefiting from the emergence of a basically separate, you know, people talk about the BRICS, for this example. This is the deglobalization yeah, idea, right? Yeah, that basically instead of it one day uh, becoming, par uh, plugging more into Western uh, financial system, that it never does that. It just plugs into another large emerging financial system but to the benefit of Iranian companies. This is what's happening right now. Absolutely. This uh, part of the regionalization trend in terms of globalization. Um, Iran is being accepted to all those organizations like, like BRICS, like Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which doesn't mean much because these are just political organizations. Sure. But on the other hand, it means that, you know, it's not isolated there, right? That the, that the country is welcome and will be part of those you know, potentially different systems, which can be, I don't know, financial systems or um, economic um, ecosystems. Um, so yes, absolutely, this is this is happening. However, there is another big factor that will be driving Iran's direction in the future, and it's the population. It's it's demographics. Uh, look, 90 million people live in Iran, and two thirds of them were born after the revolution in 79. So they can't really relate to any revolutionary slogans. They they have their own like you know vision for the country idea. They they basically have their own vision of their lifestyle that they want to have, right? And and this is the same trend that is happening in other countries like Saudi Arabia. I mean, Saudi Arabia is mm -hmm. liberalizing a lot of areas of, of 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 life, and you know it's a very good decision. But I but I think that actually they don't have any other choice because. You know, whichever country we're talking about, the the local regime, the local government, you know, at the end of the day, wants to stay in power, right? So they need to adjust 
to um, uh, to basically have you know their population happy and accept the status quo in terms of you know the power and the regime and so on. So they have to change, and 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 this 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 is driving countries. I mean, the same with you know protests that you could see at the beginning of the year in uh, in Iran, women protests. Uh, this is all changing the country, even if it's not like visible mm-hmm. uh, immediately. Um, it's 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 a massive force, and I think this will also affect the direction of the country. Mm. All right, Matcha, thank you so much for that really interesting conversation on a market that we don't often hear a lot about. Um, thanks for coming back on All Thoughts. Yes, great. It was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, great to yeah, chat with you again. Yeah, super interesting. We'll chat with you again in uh, three years. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Iran teaches you patience, right? Yeah. It's opened up very, <laughs> very slowly. Right? <laughs> so, Joe, that was really interesting. And we'll have to talk to Matcha again in, I guess, three years time to see um, what's been going on. But I thought the um, the mention of apartments and used yeah. cars as speculative investments, I had never heard that before um, for Iran. That was super interesting. And again, his point that it was sort of like China, but actually now a lot of personal savings have been run down. Um, I guess that makes a lot of sense given the uh, the situation recently. I thought that was an incredibly fascinating conversation because, yeah, I mean, there are some sort of basic macro principles that apply regardless of the situation the country finds it's in. This idea that uh, corporations in Iran operate with higher stockpiles of raw materials and other inventories, the mm. opposite of lean which of course it's the corporate side of the personal savings rate yeah. right like you have to build your own cushion yeah, in extreme right. uncertainty in extreme uncertainty you're not going to operate with sort of minimal ca- obviously american investors want to see oh get your inventory levels down get your <laughs> cash levels down efficiency operate. right that's not the way any company is going to react in a country that's constantly buffeted by various geopolitical forces and sanctions and many unexpected things um, the idea that there is this sort of beginning of a re- uh, increased relationships, maybe just political so far, so far, but plugging into China and the BRICS, et cetera, and maybe it just never happens. To, it, I thought it was a very interesting conversation. Yeah, I liked your last question um, because I think, you know, maybe um, a couple decades ago, there would have been an assumption that a country like Iran would be absorbed into the global economy. You know, you have this booming population and the the line of globalization was always going up. Yeah. But I think in 2023, there's certainly a question mark around that. And it does seem like we're heading more towards those sphere of influences, as you mentioned. Yeah, a few big spheres of influence rather than an expectation that it all sort of funnels mm. into one uh one 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 flow of capital around the world. Yeah, exactly. Shall we leave it there? Let's leave it there. Okay. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow our producers, Carmen Rodriguez at Carmen Armin, Dashiell Bennett at Dashbot, and Kel Brooks at Kale Brooks. Thank you to our producer, Moses Andam. For more Odd Lots content, go to Bloomberg.com slash Odd Lots, where we have 
transcripts, a blog, and a newsletter that comes out every Friday that Tracy and I write. And check out our Discord, discord.gg slash oddlots, where listeners are chatting with each other 24-7 on a range of topics. Uh, really fun place to hang out. And if you enjoy Odd Lots, if you find it interesting when we do deeper dives into more unfamiliar markets, then please leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.